I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on Bail Reform. I'm Lisa Evers, your host. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers. And you, you can catch up on all of our Street Soldiers episodes, both Hot 97 Radio and Fox 5 TV, free of charge on LisaEvers.com. And you can hear our Street Soldiers podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Now, in this episode, we are talking about bail reform in New York State. Is it righting the wrongs of the past or... Or, as some say, is it legalizing crime? On January 1st, 2020, New York State's new bail reform bill became law. The bill basically does away with cash bail for most nonviolent criminal offenses. Supporters say it eases the burden on low-income people and makes the criminal justice system more fair. But critics, many in law enforcement, say it's basically a get-out-of-jail-free card for criminals. Uh, what are the facts? And where does the truth lie? That's what we're going to try to find out with our panel. Joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers, Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney, and he's the founder and principal of the Philip Hamilton Law Firm. Phil, great to have you with us again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you. Also with us is someone who's had firsthand experience with the bail situation and the jail situation, Marvin Mayfield. He's a criminal justice reform advocate with Just Leadership USA. They're part of the Close Rikers movement as well. He was also formerly incarcerated on Rikers Island. Marvin, great to have you with us. Thank you, Lisa. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a former NYPD lieutenant, a criminal justice professor, and a law enforcement analyst. Darren, great to have you back with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Again, as well. Marvin, I want to start with you with your situation, okay. just to give us an idea of what people were dealing with. You were 23 years old, mm -hmm. arrested for the first time. Tell us a little bit about that briefly. Um, like you said, I was 23 years old. I went into the United States Air Force at 18, signed up. I came home as, at 22, um, walking down the street, Brooklyn, New York, one, one evening, one night by myself. I was arrested, picked up by the police, um, beaten by the police, what they did back in those, in those times. And... Um, uh, taken to Central Booking, where I was there for the past couple next few days. Right, um, I was given a, ultimately after going through all of this process, I was given a bail of ten thousand dollars, which I didn't have. I and what did they moment. charge you with? And, and what year was this? I was charged with burglary in the third degree, and this was nineteen eighty-eight. Okay. And this was the first time that I so had the height of the crime. crack epidemic, a lot of crime in New right. York City. Right, height of the crack ep epidemic, a lot of crime in New York City, and not a lot of. Um, uh, time to, to uh, sort out who is innocent and who is guilty. Lock right. them up, let the judge sort them out. And so ultimately I was given a $10,000 bail without any uh, means of support to be able to, uh, to pay that bail. So um, family wasn't able to do so. I didn't have, I didn't have the money. Um, as a result, I lost my job. I lost my apartment. I had a car that I lost. And everything that, that I had been working toward was just lost because of this arrest. So um, I remember um, going into um, C-95 on Rikers Island. And the first thing I remember was the noise and the, the, the cages and everything. It didn't take two minutes before I got on Rikers Island before I was assaulted the first time. Um, after that, for the next couple of days... By inmates or by officers? This was by other people who were incarcerated. Right. Um, so um, I got assaulted then, uh, beat up, and uh, uh, by the time I got to a housing unit... Um, it was a couple of days later, and before I even got there, I could hear the roar and the din and everything else, and uh, I was again assaulted. This time, my leg was broken, and I hadn't been on the Rikers Island in about two days. So my leg was broken, I'm, I'm, I'm beat up, and I'm going through all of these things, um, basically because I didn't have the money to pay my way out. You know, I mean, um, 
Lots of people say, oh, I'm there for a crime that I didn't commit. And I hate saying that sometimes because that's the first thing people say, oh, well, yeah, if you're, if you're arrested, you must have done something, you know. But there are a lot of people, including myself, who are uh, arrested and uh, put in a situation where they've been given a bail and to uh, no fault of their own. Not everyone that has been uh, taken off the streets and put into a violent situation is guilty or deserves to be there. Right, and we're supposed to be in America innocent until proven guilty. Phil, when he when you hear his story, how unique is that or how typical is that? Because that is from the 1980s, a different era. But did you see that going on recently when you were working as a, a Bronx public defender? Absolutely. Ab okay. Okay, yeah, well, I, I'll, we'll finish with a toss up. What was that? Something fell. <laughs> You're right. You know, See, some people look so good, they just break the freaking... That's what it is. <laughs> hand up the place. And I could have flipped that the other way, but I was trying to, you know... I'll take the phone. I need your sound bite the next one. I'll three take hours I just had, of preparation. I just had the, I'm getting him amped up for his... Phil's three hours of preparation is... No, nah, but my, that's why I always start with the preface. Take just to always make sure, so I always know where to pick up, just in case we have, like, a situation like that. So we'll just start with the absolutely... Listen, it's a pop-up studio. Yeah. <laughs> when I have the permanent studio, lights will be automatic. will be like, what was the final verdict on your case? Um, I, well, we'll get to that. Okay. Let's get to that. Let's get to, that we'll, we'll come back to that throughout the show. Okay. okay. I'll get to that. <laughs> so can I just, I just pick up and say thanks, Marvin? Just ask that question. Just ask that okay. question. To Phil? Okay. All right, cool. Right. Phil, how common is the type of story that Marvin just told us? I mean, it has unfortunately been very common. Uh, you know, prior to these uh, reforms going into effect uh, late last fall, and which are now into effect uh, January 1st, 2020, uh, that was the story all too often. And that's a large part of the reason as to why a lot of these reforms went into place. You had a lot of people that were sitting in jails throughout the city and throughout the state that were sitting there for primarily the reason that they could not afford to get out. You hit the nail on the head when, after the story was discussed, you talked about this is America. From a constitutional perspective, you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. This is not cliche. This is the way that our rule of law works. This is the way that our jurisprudence operates. And so if that is in fact the case for everybody, and all things being fair, then everybody that is sitting in jail the primary reason why you should be sitting in there should not be just because you cannot afford to get out. I'm in private Before practice now. I'm not at the Bronx Defenders like I used to be. And I'm like being in private practice, whenever clients generally come into the office, they can all afford to hit any amount of bail generally that is proffered. And from what I have seen just in private practice, we're talking anywhere from 20000 to $1 million within a day. You know, I have clientele that can get that money and get out. Whereas when I was at the Bronx Defenders, I all too often had situations like this where I had clients that were sitting in on $500 bail, $750 bail, and sitting in on that $500 bail while the rest of their life was going on outside. Bills were still due, 
rent was still due, Family still kids need needed support. to be taken care of, all of these kinds of things that on these minor nonviolent offenses, you have someone sitting in jail for $750 and it would just ruin the entirety of their life. Okay, let me let me bring Darren into this. Darren, it, was there a necessity for bail reform? When you hear stories like this and you hear about how there were a lot of people that they would spend months and months and months in jail on relatively minor charges just because they couldn't afford the bail. I'm a proponent for criminal justice reform. However, that criminal justice reform needs to be done smartly. When we take in connection these bails that are set, the precedent should be built upon the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment allows um, people to have a judge, that, that, to have a bail that runs consistent with their income. i give you an example. Harvey Weinstein is someone that's on a bail of a million plus dollars, whereas a person that's of, let's say, a middle income would get a significantly lower bail based on the income that they have. And that falls within the purview of the Eighth Amendment. But in connection with um, the this criminal justice... This new bill in New, York, in New York State. No, that's always... The Eighth Amendment has been on the books for some time. And that's where it gives judges the ability to, to implement a bail that runs consistent with that person's but what do you think about what we have? What do you think we ha about what we have now in New York? I think that there, it's necessary for us to have a series of changes, and with the new bail reform that came in on June, uh, excuse me, January 1st, it states that there's no cash bail for these low, lower-level offenses. I'm a proponent of not having bail for first offenders, but when we open it up, the, the floodgates, the people that sell drugs in school zones, uh, people that um, are, can, are arrested for a DWI and they actually hurt negligent someone. Negligent homicide. As a, right, exactly. That would be a criminally negligent homicide. But that's when I think that we need to put the brakes on this and look at it from a more smarter perspective. I think that this is something that was gunshot through the legislator in New York State, and it's going to be too early for us to quantitate now, this is something that we're going to have to look at we're from a 12 month keep, period. Keep looking at. Okay, the big question a lot of people have is does the new bail reform law take away the discretion of judges? We'll find out when we come back. Hey, this is Rhapsody, and you're listening to Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers, where we talk about power but also push for peace. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about New York State's new bail reform law. Is it, as supporters say, righting the wrongs of the past, or as critics say, a get-out-of-jail-free card for criminals. Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney. He's also the founder and principal of the Philip Hamilton Law Firm. Phil, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you for being with us. Also with us is Marvin Mayfield. He's a criminal justice reform advocate with Just Leadership USA. He was also formerly incarcerated on Rikers Island. Marvin, great to have you with us. Thank you, Lisa. Great to be here. Thank you so much. And also joining us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a former NYPD lieutenant, a criminal justice professor, and also a law enforcement analyst. Darren, great to have you Thanks with us. Thanks for having us. me. Let, let's talk about what the, this bail reform law actually does. And Phil, you look at the law, you study the law, you have to use, use the law. True or false, there is no, there's no more cash bail for a lot of offenses. True. I mean, in the respect that, as mentioned earlier, you know, back in the day, let's just say before this whole reform went into effect, you had situations where people were coming in on simple trespass cases or maybe somebody takes some deodorant out of Dwayne Reed or something along those lines. Cash bail was an option that a judge could give that person. A, pers a, a judge could put that person in jail, set a $1,000 bail, and you know they would just be lingering on Rikers Island because they took some deodorant or something along those lines. That cannot happen anymore. With a lot of these misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies, there is within these reforms um, basically a mandatory release uh, on the nonviolent felonies. But a third degree assault is you. Third degree assault is 
no bail. It is, but like I think isn't that a violent crime? No, it's not like tech. It, it's violent in the sense of physical aggression. Act, but in terms of like legally speaking, is it classified as a violent offense within the New York State Penal Code? No. So I think it's also important just to know what the whole purpose of bail was at common law and just frankly about. Like you mentioned the Eighth Amendment. Bail has always been to ensure someone's return to court. Whenever you're arrested, you go before the judge, you read your charges, they let you go. The money has always been there as a means to make sure to you show you back, back up. You don't show back up, you lose the money. Right. That's what it's always been about because remember, you're presumed innocent until proven Right, but guilty. the judges could take into account in the past, um, they could take into account somebody's uh, potential for uh, committing, committing that alleged crime over again or being a danger to society based on the record. True or false, Marvin? Um, that's, that's, that's true. In the past, it, 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 it was an option for the judge to, to make that determination. Um, but today, I mean, what we we're talking about when we, with this new bail uh, reform legislation is what we're really talking about is fairness. Fairness to a, a group of people who have been historically and typically oppressed and have been the, the major commodity in the prison industrial complex. We're talking about black and brown people in our community. And I'm an organizer for New York State, and I'm specifically uh, speaking of New York State. But this is a, a, a nationwide crisis, a, a nationwide crisis in a country that incarcerates more people than, than any other country in the world, and it's time that we have uh, uh, made some new laws and new legislation that evens the playing ground and stop using uh, poor and indigent people in, as the, uh, the commodity. In the as the fuel in the criminal justice machine, exactly. basically, is what you're saying. Darren, in, in terms of what Marvin's saying, and you know this, I mean, you, you've spoken on this many times on, on television and here on, on Street Soldiers as well. There were years where a lot of innocent men, particularly men of color, were picked up in these big police sweeps on crimes that they didn't commit. And because they couldn't afford bail, their lives are turned upside down if they didn't do something. And even for the ones that it was their first offense. What do you think about that? I think that quintessential policing should be at the apex of this. We want to ensure that the right person is getting arrested. One wrongfully arrested person is too much. But what, just going back to what Marvin mentioned earlier in terms of these um, the disproportionately high number of minorities that are arrested, the communities of color are under siege. And it's necessary that many instances we fix this ourselves in that, look, the person, we have an African-American person that's assaulting another African-American person. Right. So now we have black on black crime. That's a problem. In addition to that, we take in consideration the double victimization, meaning we have someone that is victimized by an individual and that same person, the assailant, gets out three hours later and then back in that same neighborhood. Phil, Phil, and so when Phil mentions that, look, it's not a violent crime. I tend to disagree. And I'm speaking from a practitioner's perspective in the NYPD. Many times I've had defendants that have come out of jail, even on bail, and they've been re-victimized all over. Phil, Phil what about that? We, we, and we, we already had two cases where there, there was a, a woman that was, uh, that was punching people on the subway and a man who was doing it. As well, they went. They had a previous arrest for exactly the same thing, and they were they were literally out back. It did it again within hours. It, it, just to be clear, that's like a two part. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that's, that that's not a violent act in terms of the physicality of it, right? What I'm saying is the New York State Legislature, both now and even before then, has never classified assault in the third degree as a misdemeanor. And you know this as a former police that used to, you know, basically have to go out there and effectuate the penal law. You know it was never classified as a violent offense. So that's number one as to that. In terms of just kind of what's going on, in terms of people getting back out and everything along those lines, 
I guess what I'm again trying to say here is that you're kind of dealing with a twofold process. The okay. first is pre-trial, okay? Pre-trial and everything leading up to trial, and then trial and or post-conviction, okay? So to the extent if somebody is convicted for assault, they're convicted for another count of assault, they're convicted for another count of assault, they're these kind of repeat offenders or what have you, then those are the kinds of things that you can look at in terms of enhanced sentencing. You can look, there are things ultimately, once you've gone through the process and you have been found guilty and you no longer hold those constitutional protections of being presumed innocent, then the state and all of this retribution and everything that we're discussing, the state can bring that down upon you. We are talking about the moments. We're talking about the moment you get arrested, right? But the moment you get arrested, and a lot of times, whether it's it's like a a gang feud, whether it's some kind of a beef that's going on, whether it's somebody that is a chronic has like as we've seen in in some of these recent cases, they have twenty and thirty arrests for exactly the same thing, punching somebody. Obviously, there's something else going on there besides you know besides what's supposed to be going on. But in terms, Marvin, in terms of the judge's discretion, there's a lot of people that say judges now have no discretion about whether to impose bail. Is that true? Um, in certain cases, in certain crimes, yeah. I mean, the, the, the legislation is clear that certain crimes are now no longer eligible for cash bail. But this doesn't eliminate the, uh, the, uh, the process of um, when, when a person is released to have uh, release supervision and things like that. Um, this legislation was not designed or the, the uh, intent of it is not to um, give a free pass for crime or for criminals to be released because the judges has no discretion. This, this legislation was primarily fought for by people who are um, uh, directly impacted. And, and now well, the, the legislature, the legislators rather, the, the lawmakers in Albany who voted this in uh, within uh, with an, uh, our new assembly and new senate, uh, they voted it in within this timeline. But it's been years that we've been fighting for this legislation. And now when the uh, people who are uh, mostly impacted, directly impacted, the people who were formerly incarcerated, the people who have been abused and oppressed by the by these long-held um, archaic and racist um, laws on books have, and now have a chance for some fairness, there are a lot of people who are up in arms about it and concerned about it. And look, we're only... What, a week into this legislation, and we don't even have the the uh, the amount of data to uh, to to uh, really um, see to whether these are like right. isolated cases or the. But Darren, there's Darren. There's a lot of people, as you know, who are very concerned. They don't want to see any innocent people, you know, penalized. They don't want to see low income or people of color penalized. But they're also concerned about this this enabling crime, the type of low level crime. To, to, you know, flourish on the streets. What do you say to that? Absolutely. I think one of the things that came into play with bail is oftentimes you had a surety connected. When I say a surety, meaning someone else put up either a piece of property or they put up some money. So what happened is you had people that received the bail and they now had a loyalty to not just coming to court, but to that individual that may have put up the deed to the house or the person that loaned them the money. So you had a, a different component outside of the criminal justice uh, system that assured that this person was coming to court. As a result of that, I think it allowed more people to come to court because they had the surety-based bail, so to speak. And then when we think in terms of fear-mongering, so to speak, hey, look, we're going to have an, an outrageously high number of people that are going to jump bail. It, this gentleman mentioned it's going to be difficult to quantitate that, but I also go back to I think that there should be something that anchors a person coming back to court for these 
crimes. I agree, like Phil stated, a person is innocent until proven guilty. But the truth of the matter is, an officer arrests someone or the officer affects an arrest based on probable cause. And that probable cause is enough to bring that person into court, whereas the judge in arraignment would then make that assessment as to the person would either be released, one second, that person would either be released or remanded into custody. And this is the issue that we have here. All right, so, so what happens now when you do get arrested? We're going to find out when we come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about New York's new bail reform law. And joining me for this conversation, attorney Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney and the founder and principal of the Philip Hamilton Law Firm. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Marvin Mayfield. He's a criminal justice reform advocate with Just Leadership USA. They were one of the leading organizations in the closed Rikers movement, and he was formerly incarcerated on Rikers Island. Marvin, great to have you with us. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Great Th to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a former NYPD lieutenant, a criminal justice professor, and a law enforcement analyst. Darren, great to have you with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Phil, just clarify for us. Does the judge have discretion, any discretion under the law, this new New York law right now? Somebody comes before him, they've had this, the same offense, you know, 10 or 15 times previously. Can the judge say, I can't put this person back out on the street to go punch somebody else in the face? Um, so it depends on what the nature of the offense is. So if we're going to presume that this is the assault three. Okay? Right. So if this is the misdemeanor assault three, it's a nonviolent felony and person goes in, ultimately released, okay, comes back out, punches another person in the face, arrested for assault in the third degree, comes in, comes back out. In terms of the discretion that's there for the judge, it's, I think now they're going to have to get a little bit more crafty, right? They're going to have to get a little bit more crafty because back in the day, what they would do is if you kept coming in on a subsequent offense, what they would say is, okay, now you have four or five assault in the third degrees that are open, okay? You're facing a year on each sentence. That could potentially be five consecutive years. You're now probably less likely to come back because of all the time that you're facing. So because of that, I'm going to step you in. You see? so And, and, and impose a bail. Correct. Can they still do that? That's what I'm saying. Like, you can still somewhat be crafty. I mean, I hate to kind of be putting this out there, but this is what I anticipate to kind of there's, see. There's what's on paper, and then there's what can really right. be done. So I'm kind so of like talking about what can really be done. logistically what could really be done. Like but that, in terms of the law itself as it's written, the judges can't do that. On a, on a, actually, well, now, because the judges can only look at prior convictions, so they can't actually even look at, like, what like the open, open cases. arrests are. So, yeah, actually, the law has reformed in that respect as well. So Marvin, you're shaking, it look like you're shaking your head on that. You got well, questions. Well, I'm, I'm just saying it because there are certain provisions within this new legislation where judges do have discretion to... Uh, to, uh, to impose the cash bail. For instance, if a person continuously misses their court date, they can impose the bail. And so um, there are other provisions that, are, that uh, actually promote public safety within this legislation. And depending on the nature of the offense, so let's presume that the assault is within the DV context. Right, okay, this like is a like domestic a, violence. Correct, okay. if it's in a domestic mm -hmm. violence context, judge can still set bail there. Right. Um, you know, it's not to say, and we've seen this, I, I think there may be areas of the law which may ultimately end up being reconsidered, okay? But at the end of the day, it didn't mean that these reforms didn't need to come. We could not have continued on the old status quo, especially when we keep talking. And I think all of us are in agreement. 
in respect to the fact that you just had a very unfair system before. No, and what, and what, and what it did to low-income communities of color, a lot of that. But, Darren, what about the judge discretion issue? Do you buy that or? No, I, you know, what, I'm, what I can tell you from a personal experience is if a person was a reoffender, meaning a person, let's say, assaulted someone over and over initially, again. and then they came back and went out, and I've seen this many times with my own eyes, that person went back out and assaulted that person all over again within a 24-hour period. The judge should have the ability, and the judges have, remanded that person and not given them a cash bail because they've deemed that person a danger to the community. But in this and offense, then, Darren, like now, like, like in your example, I'm just going with your example. So with your example now, if person comes back out, punches the person again, the judge would be able to ultimately hold them in because right. there would be a violation of the, of the order of protection. So remember, like whenever you have these kinds of violent offenses that aren't necessarily classified as But violent, on a random attack, it w he would not. On a random attack, if, if it was they the went, same thing, he was going. Somebody was going down into the subway, just punching people in the face. Yeah, if somebody's just going down there and just punching someone over in the and face, over again, like which we've had. Person, These are real cases. The judges are going to end up. They're going to end up getting crafty. That's what I'm telling. They're going to have to do they're something to end protect up people. Crafty. It would be dependent upon what the charge is, how how they charge the person that, that committed this assault, whether or not it would fall underneath the new legislation. So, because I'm presuming what you're saying is it's another misdemeanor assault, because clearly if it's an assault. In the second degree, which like is a, a felony, higher assault, felony. then right. we're not having this conversation. Right. Exactly. And so this is just strictly for misdemeanors. Right. We are talking just strictly misdemeanors here. At this so point. are you well, comfortable with it? Are you comfortable with it, Phil? Or you think there, there needs to be... Wait, we'll save the change well, for later. It's, it's not uh, just Mar strictly Mar go misdemeanors ahead. Go. because um, uh, there has been uh, categories of um, offenses that were uh, statutorily considered violent that have been... Um, implemented in this legislation, such as um, burglary in a second degree and robbery in a second degree, which were statutorily violent, where, where, where no violence was actually um, committed. So those will no longer be eligible for cash bail either. You know, one of the things that, that a lot of this is a byproduct of quantitative policing that happened in the early 90s. When we go back to coming out of the crack, the crack epidemic, we had, just give me one second. Um, after the crack epidemic, that's when we had the quantitative policing because we felt that the numbers needed, we needed to make more arrests because the city was I going to hell in a... What people would call on the streets a lot of the sweeps. Right, the city was going to hell numbers. in a handbasket. So as a result of that, we had the, um, the, the, the court case a couple years ago, Floyd versus the city of New York, where they found that there was a disproportionately high number of African Americans and Latinos that were stopped and frisked by the police department. What it did was it opened up people's eyes and stated, look, there's over-policing. So as a result of that, the legislation, Let's the legislative specific, branch- over-policing in black and brown communities. Right, I, I, right. I mentioned that. Um, as a result of that, what happened was the legislative, legislative branch went completely to the left and said, okay, look, we're going to eradicate this bail. We're not going to have cash for these low-level offenses. And they didn't really do a qualitative assessment as to how this thing will play out. And we're seeing that now with the governor. He's looking at this now and saying, hey, look, I do need to make some adjustments. Well, there have been some and other people that were supporters that are saying— It was a knee-jerk reaction, and ultimately it's the victims are going to be the people of color. These these communities of color are under siege, and these are the communities that result in um, more, the more victims than anywhere else in the city. And no one is speaking to that victimization process. They're just looking at, look, the offender, but what about the victim? What about the victims? No the one is standing there. for the victim. I'm not and that's well, what where about, I have what about, an issue. So what about the victims? He, ha he has the, a point. Here's the thing for the victims. There is still the court of law. The process is playing itself out within the court of law. To the extent that these people are ultimately convicted, right, to the extent that these offenders or what have you are ultimately convicted, then 
the state, in terms of like these punishments that you're looking for, it's going to do okay, it, and okay, it has but legal authority but let me to take ask, care let me of throw, it. But... Let me throw this one out to, to all of you guys, and, and I'm, I'm saying this as, as a woman. One of the charges that now has no bail is making a terroristic threat, which can be something, a threat against a person, a threat against a woman, some guy's harassing you, Lewd you behavior. file a charge against him, he's, he's not your domestic partner, but so it's like he gets that, he catches a charge or mm -hmm. a similar charge like that, and then you go and you file a complaint with the police, and the guy gets is, is, comes back that night and says, hey, you think you can put me behind bars? You can't. You go to the you go to the cops and look what happens. It, don't you think that's going to put women at risk? Phil is speaking to convictions. Right. But, but you know how long it takes to get to the conviction stage? A long Let's time. talk about the summary arrest is something that happens in the street. Then it, then the the offender goes through the precinct. Then they go through arraignments, and that person can either be remanded or they're set back out. No, but, but then about, when the, what about when the trial Robert, what process, about my question? Because in in the scenario that you just painted, right. the, the 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 person that would commit that type of uh, uh, repeated offense, right, right. go back to you and say, hey, hey look, the law's not working for you, um, that would be a, a direct violation of the order of protection, which should be instituted at the, um, by the judge or at the court at that time. And then, I mean, that person would no longer be uh, on the street. They would be uh, rearrested and would not be eligible for uh, uh, um, uh, a, a bail release under this legislation. But that's the order a, protections are not carve always. And like, that answers exactly what you're saying. Like to the extent that there's an offense where an order of protection is issued to protect you from having to deal with any, you know, terroristic threats or like future harassment or anything. Right, the harassment charges are all that. Correct. But like to the extent that you were having to deal with that, and then that offender comes out and like does it again and violates the order of protection, mm -hmm. then the judges have. But the what same about just harassment? Guys, because right, right. there's a lot but of women. There's a lot of women that are harassed. Order just, of protection. Because you're you're all. This has happened. There's a lot of women that have had guys that have gotten super aggressive, mm -hmm. they've harassed them, and then when the woman says no, then they start you know, st stalking right. them for stalkers and that type of thing, and then they, all you can do is, it's not your domestic partner, so you can't get an order of protection, right? Or it's a harassment, you file a harassment charge, and then you get an order of protection. Right. And then the guy just gets angrier. But you guys are only speaking that, to the orders of protection. We have a lot of crimes that don't get orders of protection, and these are the same individuals that we're discussing that are gonna get out because it's perceived to be a low-level offense. What in terms of the, but here's what you're also missing. This is like the flip side of the argument. We're talking about those, but you know who else was getting caught up in a lot of these? There was too much of an umbrella that was also capturing the trespassers. There was also capturing the petit larceny people, the people that were dealing with drug addictions, right? Like we live in this society right. now where, oh, opioid addiction, drug, you know, drug addiction is, it's a, not is a medical issue. It's not a crime, right, right? Exactly. But it still was, and you had these people sitting in jail along with all of the, you know, harassers and terroristic threat makers and things along these those lines. And what I'm threatened. saying, what I'm saying Marvin, is I'll, nobody was ever in terms of like any of the legislatures before this one, taking a look at these laws substantively and making any clear changes to protect them. Mar Marvin, I want to come. I want to come to you on this. The, the, the what do you think about that? And also coming from your experience, from what you saw on Rikers Island and the impact that had on your life. Um, well, directly, um, what what I have seen, what I have witnessed with my own eyes, is that um, 
when a person gets arrested and goes to court, goes through arraignment and everything else, there's like a, a pool of people who come in. And I'm talking about uh, every color and shade that you can think of. Right? So, but when it's time to go, when when people are remanded, it's time to go back to the jail. Who Who's on those buses? It's black and brown people who are chained and shackled that go back to Rikers Island. The people who have the money to pay their way out, even though they have committed the same exact offense as a person who has no money, has to become the person that stays in jail and keeps the the, the, the cycle going. And this is really, truly about fairness. It's it's not about giving people a free pass. It's not about uh, saying, okay, well, uh, we're not concerned with public safety, because I absolutely am. I'm a, I'm a, 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 a citizen of this city. I have my family who is in this city. Served and your I am country? Concerned, served your country? Uh, served my country, yes. And I am concerned about you know uh, public safety just as much as anyone else. But within that, I'm also concerned about justice. I'm also concerned about fairness. I'm I'm concerned that there has been a historical uh, uh, um, oppression against a certain class of people that needs to end and needs to stop. And, and this well, legislation well will uh, address that. Will there be times where where, where we have uh, uh, some gray areas where um, things won't work exactly? Of course, that's human nature. It's going to be that way. But we do have to work out kinks. Uh, but I do not believe You think that it's a big step in the right direction? Though. It's absolutely a step in the right direction. Okay. Um, this is Street Soldiers. We'll be right back. Hey, yo, yo, yo. What up? What up? It's the infamous Mob Deep prodigy right here. You know what I mean? And this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, you know what I mean? And real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about New York State's new bail reform law. Is it a get-out-of-jail-free card for criminals? Or is it a major step in the right direction for righting the criminal justice wrongs primarily in communities of color. Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is Phil Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney. He's also the founder and principal of the Philip Hamilton Law Firm. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Marvin Mayfield. Marvin is a criminal justice reform advocate with Just Leadership USA. He's been very involved also in the Closed Rikers movement, and he was formerly incarcerated on Rikers Island. Marvin, great to have you with us. Thank you, Lisa. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a former NYPD lieutenant, a criminal justice professor, and a law enforcement analyst. Darren, great to have you with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Phil, briefly, so now people will get, for some of these offenses, they'll be given a ticket. Then what happens? They're not going to have bail. They won't go through central booking. They won't be handcuffed and thrown in you know, the back of the van and taken to central booking. So what actually happens? They get this piece of paper and then it's like, okay, now I can go home? I mean, some of your viewers may remember this as like a desk appearance ticket. This happened even before all the reforms are going to affect, but an officer would essentially issue you a ticket as opposed to taking you down to central booking or the tombs or putting you in jail. Uh, you would have a date that would have a return date for when you would go see the judge and be arraigned on whatever charges that you had been arrested for, okay? So generally now that's going to be within 20 days of the arrest. Um, and the in, in, like the met, what you're going to have to do when you are that person is make sure that you go to court because to the extent that you miss that court date, you're putting yourself in a position that like when you do go back, then you could be in a situation where the judge has the discretion to, you know, set... To, to set a bail or to set some other kind of condition, be it supervision with probation, um, to, to make you there's some cash? kind of monitoring, some kind of like pretrial program to make sure that you are, again, being insured to come back to court. Because I don't want to be redundant here, but that is the whole purpose when we're talking about the bail. It is simply to ensure your return to court. 
And that's not to, it. Not to punish you. <laughs> it's not, thank you, it's not to punish you. Not at common law, not back like in English law, not like since the Eighth Amendment uh, was ultimately ratified. Bail is simply to ensure your appearance to court. And at like the New York state level, just to kind of go back to where we were earlier, there has never been a look upon how dangerous someone might be or like what the heinousness of the crime was in terms of that being a legal consideration as to what a judge could consider when they decided to set bail or not set bail. It was always about, is this person going to come back to court? And what, if anything, do I need to do to make sure they come back to court? Does that mean I need to set $300,000 bail to make sure like that they come back? Like whatever they do. Okay. Right. But Darren, in terms of there, there's been, there've been talks, some of the supporters of the bill, uh, so, some of the supporters of, of this bail reform bill are now having second thoughts about it publicly saying, you know what, maybe there's going to have to be some changes. What do you think about that? They're having second, third, fourth, and fifth thoughts about this. Um, there's absolutely going to be some changes. This is somewhat at a deciduous state because it was rolled out on January 1st. And they just haven't had the ability to quantitate how many people haven't been coming to court. As Phil mentioned, this is just merely an anchor or a surety that that person will come to court. But what's going to happen, and I give you a place like New York City, for example, the NYPD's warrant squad is going to go through the roof with work. And what that does is we're paying for that as taxpayers. When Why we are have they going to go cops, through the roof? I would think because, they would be out of business. No, 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 no. I'll tell you, when I say they're going to be going through the roof, meaning the number of warrants are going to go through the roof for people's failure to appear. Oftentimes, when a person has a bail as, as limited as $100, $200, they're going to come back because they want their money back. Not so much as they're looking to abscound, but they want their money back. So what's going to happen is when there's no anchor to attach you as a surety, you're going to have a lot of these people just going to forget about the court cases. And so when I mention the NYPD's warrant squad's numbers are going to go through the roof, you're going to have cops that are going out there constantly looking for these people for these nonsense warrants, such as people that hop the subway, hop the turnstile, things to that effect. We as the turns, we as the taxpayers are going to shoulder the brunt of those costs, and those officers are going to be limited to dealing with that and not the other serious issues that we have in the street. The more results. serious issues. Mar Marvin, what do you think, you know, as because you, you, you fought very hard for this for many, yeah. many years, mm -hmm. and it's, it's also deeply personal to you because of what what you went through yourself you know during those during those years what do you think about you know when you hear some of these top state officials saying hey you know what we may need to reconsider this because well, yeah. the winds of public opinion you know blowing in a little different direction uh, I, I understand that and as far as the uh, uh, public officials and these politicians and, and mainly district attorneys across the state who want to uh, push back on this particular le legislation I think the that the uh, they kind of missed their opportunity. You know, when this um, uh, uh, legislation was being crafted, it was being crafted by, uh, by, by uh, grassroots organizations, people who are on the street level, people who have been directly impacted. And they pretty much sat back and said, oh, it'll never happen. They will never achieve this uh, type of legislation. And then, well, lo and behold, this group of ragtag uh, organizers and, and directly <laughs> impacted people got this legislation passed. And these people who were sitting in their offices, these district attorneys said, holy, um, look what's happened. We can't allow this to happen. So uh, they started using scare tactics and saying, okay, well, uh, uh, it's going to be anarchy in the streets. We're gonna, it's going to be a direct threat against public safety when there is no data to, uh, to, to actually say that. There have been 40 states in our union that have enacted certain pretrial legislation, and our neighbor, New Jersey, has uh, completely eliminated cash bail with no increase in crime. So for anyone to uh, project that people won't come back to court because of small cases... Uh, 
that even people who have paid bail, but the, the people who are, this legislation was directed toward are not people who pay bail. They are people who use bail bondsmen and don't get that money back, no matter what the case was. So this is the legislation that's going to try to, try to, fair, uh, to make fairness in our courts and to take it away from the people and for these legislations to push back on it's not only an insult, it's a slap in the face of justice. All right. What do you think about that, Darren? Well, I think that it's very difficult for you to look at what happens in New Jersey compared to New York because the, ge the, the geography is very different. The crimes are very different. What happens in Washington Heights may not happen in Newark. So I think it's a very fair, unfair comparison when you look at one city or one state compared but, but to the other. But there's a lot of other states, so, too, that have, have passed the reform. But when we, look, when we take in consideration the, the, how you can quantitate this, this is going to take a period of time before we can assess what the number of the people that are abscounding from bail and who, how many people are showing up. In addition to that, I agree, but we, people are saying that I, the I, sky I didn't interrupt is you. Today. I didn't interrupt right. you, so give me a shot. All right. In addition to that, we spoke to the victimization earlier. We have the double victimization. How about the kids that are in that classroom that look at the gentleman that has his pants down by his ankles? in front of a school. That is, that's one of those crimes that a person will not receive a cash bail for. I'm outraged by something like this. That's you mean a sex offense. That's, that's, that's a sex offense, offense that will, will be. That's, that, not, that, see, that, that's where you ought to be careful, Darren. That's where you have to be Hold on. So you're saying the person that does it, in addition to that, the person that sells that's drugs a, that's in a school exception. zone. Wait, let him. Is that. No, that's about an that. exception. So if you're, if, if you're masturbating in front of a school, that's a sex offense. The sex offenses are one of the qualified exceptions that allow the judges to still have the Not all sex offenses. But because I looked. No, no. Because I, I specifically offenses. looked at that, and that was something that came up. No. I don't know where you looked at that. I'm looking within the statute <laughs> that's ultimately been passed and it's gone into effect. So, that's so, like where so the fear-mongering has so, to... So sex, of, sex, sex offenses... Sex offenses are not a part of the mandatory So basically any of these subway perverts that that we women know about and, you know, the, 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 those kind of things, those would, the judge will be able to ha have Correct. discretion Correct. on that. If Absolute, it was somebody that did something awful. Let's also, let's also and with children. In, let's also keep in mind that any of these offenses, right, if a person has the ability to pay, they will be out anyway. This legislation is for, is designed for people, for poor people who have been typically oppressed. And by I, I cannot, I cannot stress enough what he's saying again, Lisa. Just from my transition from the Bronx to Midtown, okay, the way that I've seen like practice change, and right. you know the way that we have a lot of black and brown people that have like the mental health issues that yeah, may be right. the ones that are masturbating in front of schools. This exists on the Upper East Side too, okay. Mm -hmm. And like That's the way right. that some of these teenagers uptown like get into trouble, you can trust me. I've seen it with my clientele. The teenagers on the Upper East Side on the Lower East Side and everywhere else that the city's being gentrified, they get into trouble too. But what happens is when they come into my office or when their parents come into my office and I'm explaining, you know, look, could there be bail set? Potentially, probably not, but to the extent that there is, they're ready and they have the money ready by the time we go to court so that they can pay the cash to the cashier right there. They have the cashier their, check right, right there. Right in the courthouse, okay? Mm -hmm. So like, that's always been that's the, the main issue and that's the main difference as to what everybody's trying to say. Stop looking so much at the Retributive Act, the Punishment Act, you know, bail needs to be set and look at the fact that if it is set, you have a whole segment of the population that's just gonna pay, get out, go to trial like Weinstein, okay? And then other people that are gonna sit in and languish there for like 
$500 for like two years because they, they, they can't pay it. $500 to them is $5 million. And I, I think Mar- Marvin, you, as you look right. at the way you that, bring it, up a good point. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Are you bring up a good point. Someone that languishes in jail for a period of time, and we refer we refer back to the Khalif Browder case. Right. I think that a lot of things that happened there was we didn't have the proper oversight with the process. It wasn't just him not receiving bail, but at what point should someone um, looked into this and said, look, you know what? This person has been there too long. There was a they lot of there's a lot of points. A teenager, solitary confinement, three years. I mean, there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of issues. There. And I give you an example: the 180-80 days when a person, um, when someone is arrested for a felony, they have eight days. The prosecution six, has eight days. Six. Excuse me, six days to bring forth the action. If they don't bring forth that action, then the defendant can't be held. So, uh, going back to what should have been done in that process with Khalif Browder, you didn't have enough people. You didn't have the proper oversight to say, "Hey, look, he should have been." out. I understand that a lot of people may have been wrongfully arrested. Because of the, the pro- bail, because the family couldn't afford the $3,000 bail. All right. But the, 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 the prefers refers to directly just an arraignment. If the person has an arraignment, has been arraigned properly, that the 18880 uh, is, is... All right, let, let me bring not, you back to the bail reform, because we're, we're running yeah. out of time for the show. Marvin, are you, are you concerned that with the climate right now, where there's two very strong sides on this issue, that whatever happens is going to be exaggerated before we have any real evidence of what the impact of this law is? Well, um, it's absolutely polarized right now, and I I understand that because no power is ever given up freely. District attorneys in the state have have held all the cards up until now. The police department has held all the cards and has been able to manipulate us uh, as a people um, uh, with impunity. This legislation uh, levels that playing field. And am I concerned about it? Yes, of course I'm concerned about it. But there were people who are on the ground, the, the people who are directly impacted, who I would encourage right now to stay mobilized, to, to uh, uh, call our uh, elected officials and let them know that we will not accept rollbacks on this legislation. And um, uh, this, is, this, is, this is the job at hand. This is what we need to remember, that this legislation, this fight, was won by people who were directly impacted. Phil, what, what can you tell us about how you see the battle shaping up? Uh, of public opinion in the media about this? I mean, look, you're always going to have the side that has the agenda that this has gone too far. They're going to use this as their own legislative leverage to run their own races. But Lisa, they would have been doing this even, let's, let's presume the legislation didn't go as far left as it did. Even if it went kind of like moderately center left, it would have been the same hoopla. It would have been the same outrage. And we got to run against the Blasio and Cuomo and all this and that. So to the extent, if that was going to be the case, then you might as well have gone as far left as possible to be able to protect the trespassers, the drug addict, the people that like have serious problems just from like a mental health perspective right. and an addiction perspective because no one was helping them. No one cared. Like you said, no one was listening. No one thought that these reforms were going to pass. So go as far left as possible. If at a certain point they start kind of chipping away, at least they're chipping away from a, a place where we got a lot of the reforms that did need to be done, even that you agree with, I think that a lot of people can agree with in terms of the fairness issue, that's done. And nobody's going to be able to take that away now, even if you chip and ebb away, you know. Okay, we'll, we'll see that. Is it a final word, Darren? A lot of people say crime is going to go up. What do you think about that, yes or no? I think in many ways that could be fear-mongering. Uh, it's something that we're going to have to look through the lens and assess the assessment later on from a 12-month time frame as opposed to two weeks. This. 
All right, so we'll come back in 12 months and uh, and see what's okay. going on. We'll be All right, here. thank you guys for joining. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Philip Hamilton. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you so much, Marvin Mayfield. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I'm Darren Porcher. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind as your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace. <laughs>